0: You good people out there, this is the Kalam Babu Talk Show. In this podcast, Kalam talks to readers and writers about books, their areas of interest, and a whole lot of literary topics. It's all about books. This podcast comes on the second and fourth Saturday of every month. Kalam also has book pre-launch interviews with authors. Before we get started, here is a brief intro of Hydra. Hydra is short for Hyderabad Readers and Writers, a literature club that Qalam started in September of 2018. Hydra strives to be the bridge connecting readers and writers. We are a mutually supportive group, herein we help each other with knowledge sharing, practical tips, and constructive feedback. Our long-term objective is to groom and nurture our readers into subject matter experts, motivational speakers, life coaches, and the writers into best-selling authors. Here in Hyderabad, India, Hydra Club meets on last Sunday of every month. In each meetup, we discuss the books we read recently. We also do fun stuff like literature quiz and flash fiction. Hydra also organizes special events like book launches and book reading sessions. And with that intro, let's get started now.
1: My guest today is Karan Agarwal. Karan is an IT consultant. He is the author of the book, 7 Untold Secrets of Living Abroad, Fulfilling Your Dreams with Dignity. Karan currently lives in Hyderabad and he is a member of Hydra. So, without much ado, let's get straight away into hearing Karan about his book and the writing life. Hello Karan, welcome to the podcast. How are you today?
2: Hello my boob. I am good. I am happy to be part of your
1: podcast. Great, great. It's good to have you on the show. Let's start with your background. Please tell us more about your profile and background. Sure.
2: I am Karan Agrawal. I work in the industry for the past 12 years. And uh, because of the nature of my profession, I have traveled across countries and continents for work as well as leisure. And I have lived in Singapore for the last six years before moving to Hyderabad last year. I am basically from Nagpur. Oh wow! Um,
1: Very good. Okay, yeah. Uh, I have a connection to Nagpur. I am a alumnus of uh, NIT Nagpur. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> nice. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> right. Okay. You studied in Nagpur, worked in Singapore, and currently you are based out of Hyderabad. Yes, that's right. In general, what are your like uh, hobbies or interests apart from your professional work?
2: My quest is to live to my full potential without getting tied down to societal norms or expectations. So basically I try to explore new things and push my limits. I think we all have huge potentials and we somehow get into a narrow lane of societal expectations. So I try to push that. I'm a storyteller at heart and, okay. um, Writing gives me a high and with seven untold secrets of living abroad, I'm embarking on this journey of being an author. But otherwise, apart from writing, I'm a big time foodie. I love cult movies. (laughs) And I am also a tea lover.
1: That's a very um, philosophical and practical (laughs) also thing you said that you always be on the path of your true self, what uh, you can achieve with your potential, but Invariably, due to uh, societal pressures or other sorts of things, you deviate and do the things that you have to do to earn your bread and put food on the table kind of thing. Um, As far as the cult movies part, um, what exactly you mean by cult movies?
2: Cult movies is like uh, not the regular movie, the commercial, like the Shahrukh Khan stuff, but maybe the Abhay Deol, like there is a movie called Gulal, by Anurag Kashyap. Okay. So those kind of or are a little different
1: oh. from the league. So so which as they say in Hindi different जरा Hatke unconventional type of <laughs> movies, right? Yes, the,
2: which are not categorized as a commercially uh, commercial movies, but like where it's more of theater and acting. Konkana Sen Sharma, Abhay yeah. Dev. These kind of actors work. Yeah.
1: Right, right. The latest one from Anurag Kashyap is Choked. I, th- I hope you heard about it. And it's around the demonetization uh, of 2016. So uh, okay. It's, it's getting quite good uh, reviews on the, on, the, on the net. So, first of all, congratulations for uh, publishing the book, The Seven Untold Secrets of Living Abroad, Fulfilling Your Dreams with Dignity. And of course, it's a bit of a strange situation now because we are in a pandemic then and travel, I think, is restricted, though it's opening up now. Still uh, a very topical subject and book to discuss because it looks like very soon all the travel restrictions will be lifted and people will be able to go abroad, study, travel, tours be a tourist and study there also, the full applicability or the use of the book maybe now because in spare time, people should read your book. And as soon as the travel opportunity comes, should use the tips in your book. Right? Definitely. Like the book uh, touches upon
2: the cultural aspect from 12 countries. So it's very important that you know how people are different. It is not just about going to a particular country and Mm -hmm. start working and earning. But when you move along with your family and you work with another nationality, you need to know like their thought process and their perspective. So book, this book highlights those aspects. And definitely right now there are restrictions, but the readers can read the book and familiarize themselves and be prepared whenever the restrictions are lifted.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. So your writing journey, you said you always wanted to be uh, sharing your uh, thoughts and ideas and wanted to be a writer. Yeah. But was there any specific time or moment in life where you said, no, I have to be a writer. Let me write out. Or was it like a childhood dream that you always wanted to be a writer? How did the writing journey you know, start, happen?
2: I started writing around 2008. Uh, I think during those times, the blog phenomenon was very high in India. So even I was a blogger and I used to write uh, mainly on the topics like relationships or observations Mm -hmm. and events that mattered to me that time. So every time I have hit the publish button, it has given me a high. And in fact, I would find OSS in writing whenever I would feel low, but I was not, I did not realize that I love writing. I mean, I would write whenever I felt low and it would kind of heal me. Mm -hmm. But only when I started writing my first book, I realized how much I love writing. I mean, it comes naturally to me. Maybe I did not pay attention all these years that uh, this is what I love, what I am passionate about. And now with this book, like I have reached a state where I could meditate while writing. Like if there is anything happening around me, uh, I don't get bothered
1: if I'm like writing in a flow. Wow, you're in the classic flow of that book where uh, when writing, it is just pure writing that you do. No, yeah. you started as a blogger. Is the blog still active?
2: A blog is live, but hmm. I haven't posted uh, since long. But there are all the posts since 2008 uh, till maybe last year. Uh, now the frequency is very low. Are but there? all the yeah posts are still there.
1: There are an archived... Um, do you think the blogging phenomenon has died or because of social media uh, opportunities like Facebook or Insta has blogging gone out of fashion and out of uh, mode now?
2: I think blogging is a precursor to Facebook and Instagram. Uh, it is just the way you express. So blogging, when, when the blogs came, people suddenly found a platform where they could write their thoughts or their stories or poem and share with everyone online for free. Right. Now, I think the same thing is happening with Facebook and Instagram. But the way they are expressing is different. Instagram is more of sharing your photos. Uh, Facebook is like, it's a mix of everything. So (laughs) uh, I would say people discovered that they could express themselves in blogging and now they are doing with all the mediums, even Twitter, all the mediums available to them.
1: So uh, like you, I know other people who have started as bloggers and then came out with a publishing book. Now think of the youngsters in uh, this uh, decade or as we talked in the last couple of years, the social media influences so much. People don't blog as much as maybe 10 years back. So they just got onto Facebook and uh, LinkedIn and uh, Instagram. So in a way, that's what I meant. The art of blogging may be reducing and those who have missed that part uh, could be at a disadvantage because blogging definitely is a strong foundation to be your, uh, uh, to start your writing journey.
2: Yes, definitely. I agree to that. And like earlier in the first, decade of this century, uh, we did not have so many medium of expression. Uh, So writing or blogging was one of it. Mm -hmm. And everyone got hooked to it. But now we have Instagram, people share their stories, we have YouTube. So instead of blogging and writing, they can just record whatever they want and uh, share it on YouTube or even podcast. Mm -hmm. So yeah, to that extent, I agree that people have more convenient ways of expressing rather than sitting down and putting their thoughts uh, with the pen
1: exactly so could you tell us the url of your blog site yeah food for thought by
2: com.
1: food for thought by com. and you said essentially most of the topics and themes on your blog were about human relationships and your thoughts and ideas, not particularly about travel or uh, uh, foreign countries, right? Yes. Uh,
2: The ideas were never about travel. I never thought in 2008 um, I was completing my MBA. So I did not think that uh, I would be traveling abroad and uh, this culture thing will uh, entice me so much that time the blogging topics were, Everything that was happening around me or the economy, observation,
1: stories, relationships. A wide range of your uh, personal experiences and thoughts and so on. So the thought for this book, The Seven Untold Secrets, came after you moved to Singapore. Is that right? Yes. Uh So I think moving to Singapore
2: with family, that was like the foundation maybe uh, for writing the book, but I did not realize that I'm going to write the book. When we moved there, we encountered a lot of cultural shocks, many experiences that otherwise are not reported or told.
0: Mm-hmm. right?
2: Um, and I wasn't the first one to experience most of them. Yet everyone who travels to Singapore or for that matter, any other country, they struggle, they go through the same grind. And before realizing like, how to do or approach anything most effectively. So everyone goes through the same cycle, right? So when I was going through figuring out and settling my family and dealing with cultural uh, differences, I thought that every time this thought was in my mind that I should record it somewhere. This should be told. These are the stories that needs to be told. Mm -hmm. Um, There is no one place. I mean, we have TripAdvisor, we have websites that, help you in bookings and going to another country, but nobody tells you the real experience, how to take admission for your school, uh, for your kids, Okay. Um, how to settle your dependent, how to find job, how to hunt for a house. Okay. Uh, those kind of things, I think from 12 countries, it's not there. So with my experience, I thought this should be recorded. Uh-huh. Even I thought uh, that time that, I should write blog. Okay. Um, But somehow I did not post uh, many blogs on it. Few of them are there. Yeah. So I think this was building up inside me mm-hmm. uh, that I need to share this somehow, sometime.
1: Right. Now, one would think that if you're moving abroad for uh, studies or employment and typically you would move to a more advanced and developed countries, these things mm-hmm. that you mentioned just now, um, like whether it is school admission for the kid or where to get health care or how to apply or get this sort of accommodation. These would all be well established because the infrastructure in those advanced countries is quite robust. I mean, you don't, would not have to put uh, much effort or face a lot of difficulty. Could you explain that to our listeners? Why those things are still a challenge for Indians going abroad, the, the things you mentioned. I think that's a very interesting point, and mm-hmm.
2: this is the uh, USP that I am trying to highlight with the book. So, when a working professional moves to a developed country mm-hmm. like Germany, France, US, Canada, or Singapore, any country, right? Okay, uh, the company would take care of them for the first 15 days or one month of accommodation, but ultimately that person needs to find a house for himself and his family. So okay. if I give you example of uh, my Singapore journey, first 15 days were taken care by the company. But when I started my house hunt, we don't hear these stories. So I was denied a house because okay. they think Indian cook a lot. The, the presumption uh, among the, those people was that Indian cook a lot, which is also true.
1: Right.
2: And they feared that we would spoil their kitchen. So it's Uh more of a cultural mismatch because Chinese don't cook food at home. They generally go out every day for all the meals. And the only cooking they do is the light cooking, which is like warming the water for tea and stuff.
1: Okay. 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 So
2: it's a very cultural mismatch. We were denied house for that. So uh, it's a developed country. We never heard anything like that.
1: Now, the other thing is... There will be Indians settled in those countries already. Based on what you experienced in Singapore or heard about uh, the uh, your contacts for in other countries, aren't there many Indian associations that help uh, people coming in uh, on these kind of uh, searches or issues? Aren't there? Uh, no. Okay.
2: Uh, there are Indian associations. There is a Gujarati Samaj Mandal. There are all states have created. There is a Tamil Association, Marwadi Mitra Mandal. So all those associations are there. Okay. They celebrate the festival. Uh, if you are in an issue, they can help you out. Uh-huh. But not for stuff like settling down, yeah, finding a house or a school. school. Uh-huh. These things, even your HR will give you guidelines from your company. But ultimately, you have to go down on the street and hunt for yourself.
1: (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay. Uh, And these are the things that you're not prepared when you fly and then you realize that, oh, I have to spend time and work around these uh, issues or biases or this is what it costs and all. You, You kind of find it out yourself. Much documentation on those uh, solutions or options which is where your book comes in
2: yeah and singapore is still uh, like english-speaking country there are many indians you would not find that challenging but when you read the stories from germany or france there are language issues Uh, france need a local guarantor germany even the official forms are not bilingual it is not in english it's in german so those are the things if you know upfront, you would be better prepared before moving. In US, you should find a house near a good school because uh, admission to a school is as per the zip code. So where you are located in the public school, only in that area you would be preferred. So those kind of things and then you need a car. If you don't have a car, you it would be very challenging to commute. Right. So these parameters if you know upfront yeah. then uh, you can plan and then instead of going there and feeling stuck that is where the book uh, would be helpful
1: right i I do understand now the starting point for this book the thoughts that or the experiences that uh, made you start this book so instead of just writing about Singapore you decided to expand it to more countries why did you do that
2: I started with Singapore mm-hmm. uh, and uh, in fact, um, first like 20, 25 days, I was only writing my stories because I wanted to share my experiences from Singapore. But while I was writing uh, that time, I've thought, for example, the Tapri Chai is not available in Singapore. Right. I thought if I struggled for it, how people manage in other parts of the country or the house hunting part, as I uh, give uh, the example, mm-hmm. how do people hunt the house in other countries and what are the challenges they face? Mm-hmm. Those kind of thoughts kept on coming and I was pushing them away. But after a point I thought, why should I restrict this book only to one country?
1: Right.
2: right? So that thought made me book take global. Uh-huh. And then I did some research like where Indians migrate in large number. Uh-huh. And then I, pulled a list of top 20 countries Mm -hmm. and from there I narrowed down on 12 countries Mm -hmm. which are regionally important as well as Indians go in large number so that any one topic if you pick up like food Mm -hmm. if you are a vegetarian Mm -hmm. how what is the scenario what are the restaurants where what are the options so uh, that food will give you perspective from 12 different countries right so Uh, that thought I could not uh, resist. And then I thought, no, I need to work on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I started talking to some of my friends who live abroad in different countries. And they gave a very positive response. They also felt that these things are not available easily. So yeah, once that was established, and Mm -hmm. I was sure about this, I just went ahead with it.
1: For writing, you discover and spark of discovery that happens while writing, you decided that this story has to be told for more countries. At the beginning, you started writing about Singapore and then 20 countries, but the filtering criteria or narrowing it down to 12 was based on frequency of people going and uh, also how important they were. Uh, That cutting down was a difficult decision or Coming down from 20 to 12 countries, was it like a uh, easy decision? It was little tough mm-hmm. because if you look at the top 20,
2: I think four of the top five are the Middle East countries. Okay. So I thought why to repeat, like uh, if, if I'm telling something about UAE, it would be as much applicable to other regionally co-located countries. Oh, so yeah. okay. uh, those kind of thoughts went through. Like China doesn't figure out in the top 10, but China is an important country and people should know um, how things work there. So I included that because if you look at the world map, I have tried to cover all the continents and um, regionally important. So, and also culturally different uh, people. It was a little tough to narrow down the list, but Uh yeah, some parameters, filters helped me eventually.
1: Right. So seven untold secrets based on one dozen countries experience, but would fit to any global uh, travel or uh, relocation, right?
2: Yes. Yes. So (laughs) if you look at the Europe part, there are four countries from Europe, uh, Netherlands, France, Germany and UK. So Mm. these are important countries. Italy was also on my list. I dropped Italy, but if you know these four countries from Europe, you can as well extend the experience to Spain, Switzerland. Some There would be some variations, but you would have a fair idea yeah, how yeah. things work in that region.
1: Or even the Nordic countries, for example. For yes. Yeah. Was there any country that you wanted to include, but did not? It Was it difficult to let it go? Any particular country like that? There wasn't a country like that, but China, was I it... had... It was, tough.
2: <laughs> it was tough to connect to people in China because uh, mm-hmm. China doesn't use the normal way of communication that other parts of the world use. They don't have WhatsApp calling or they have their own ecosystem, right? So right. I had tough time connecting with people living there. I had to install WeChat. It was a little difficult. So I had my thoughts of should I drop China or not? But I mean, looking at the global map, I thought... Culturally, we should know how Chinese are. So I kept on it and I eventually... No,
1: I, I do think it. it's a good choice because Indians or Asians... Well, let me rephrase it. Indians may not be going to China in large numbers from India itself, but there could be a lot of Indians traveling from Singapore or Australia to China for business or business visits for a year or so. And it's, it's always the center of discussion in any global topic. So China has to be there, I guess, though the numbers may not be too great for Indians at the moment. Yeah. Now now you mentioned about the way of connecting to people in China, but let's talk about the research part, the information gathering part. You have seven topics and 12 countries. Okay, that's a 84... 84 cell matrix there itself <laughs> so how did you f- yeah, and the how did you find the people you know for all this uh, uh, yeah
2: and these seven topics uh, they have sub chapters uh, right. <laughs> roughly 3 to 5 so uh, yeah i mean initially i used my f- facebook uh, friend list uh-huh. and um, i made a nice excel file with all the countries and all the people who live there irrespective of whether I was knowing or not knowing. Then I connected to some of my good friends. When I got the confidence that people are buying my idea and I can approach a stranger also or somebody whom I don't know personally, but we are connected on social media. So those kind of things helped me. Like I I just sent them some messages and they responded positively. And my idea was to have at least three people from each country because uh, this is all uh, real experience, right? And two people may have different experience from the same country. It's like two mangoes from the same tree. They may taste uh, different. Mm -hmm. And based on one person, we cannot say that this is how the country works. So I wanted to have at least three, four views and within US, the East Coast and the West Coast is very different. So...
0: Mm-hmm.
2: my idea was to have like three, four people and social media helped me. At times I was stuck and then some of my friends pitched in to tell their friends. And I eventually like I made a lot of friends,
1: people whom I was not knowing uh, before uh, this book. Excellent. Excellent. So so the the very nature of the subject you're dealing is putting on paper and document those challenges that you wouldn't find. So the internet wouldn't, was not helping you much to do your research. Right. Because if the information was out out there, the basic premise of your book is not there. So it is the information that is not available to people going abroad. So you necessarily had to interview and talk to people for your research.
2: Yes. And I wanted to have people like within the people identified Mm-hmm. I put a filter that they should at least be there in that country for three years, and they should be with family, three and
1: family. Okay,
2: if possible, have kids because then only they can talk about education or dependents' life, uh, right? Uh, the household issues. That was the idea. So, That's internet, there are a lot of information you can just search on it, but how reliable they are, and if you don't know the source or the person, then It's very risky to put in a book and say that this is how it is. Correct. So, yeah, I wanted to be like authentic. These are the 34 people. All the names are there in acknowledgement uh, along with me. These are the guys and this is their story. Now,
1: there are two aspects of interest here. Mm -hmm. So you sliced your subject into seven parts. The secrets, as you call, mm-hmm. uh, what is one is home, family matters, then entertainment and social challenges, work culture, and what is Oh, not to, success stories. And then exit strategy. It's not just because the seventh one is exit strategy. So you kind of gave a broader uh, canvas to just the experience rather than the initial arrival experience right? Yes.
2: So the book starts with, you are going out, you are chasing your dreams, Mm -hmm. um, and moving out of India and settling abroad. The book starts there. And how you settle yourself and the family in daily life at workplace, how you celebrate different festivals, and all of it. Right. But the last chapter of the exit strategy, Mm -hmm. was included later based on my experience. Because when we decided to move back to India from Singapore, it was a voluntary decision. And all our friends were uh, surprised and shocked as well as happy. And 80% of them told us that they also want to move back. But because of some or the other reason, like it could be the dollar cycle or it could be kids education that uh, There are a lot of stories discussed in that chapter. So these things kept them abroad, though their heart wanted to move back. I see. So then I thought this should talk about uh, this particular aspect also, because it's not just moving abroad. Once you have moved there and your dreams are fulfilled, it could be for financial reasons. It could be for having a better lifestyle. Or a good exposure at workplace, but once that is achieved, should you continue? Should you come back to your home country, or should you go to another country? So, all these parameters are explained uh, there, and I thought it it is important from a overall perspective,
1: right? To give completeness and uh, closure end up. Yeah, there.
2: and it is it is not uh, enforcing or telling them, but. It talks about both the worlds. Like when you come back, what is your life? Right. So should you come back? It's just a reflection of my experience. And then they can take their own call, uh, whether they should continue or come back or when they should come back.
1: So so the last chapter, the seventh chapter, the exit and Gharwapasi chapter is not covering all the 12 countries. It's only uh, covering your uh, exit from uh, Singapore predominantly. It, It covers from Singapore. It covers from Germany and US
2: as well, because two of my friends moved back to India. So it has their stories, like how their life uh, is now after moving back and also why they moved back.
1: Right. So the first six chapters do cover the, the topic and its subtopics for all the 12 countries. But the last one is the experience of you and a couple of your friends. Yes. And if I may ask, what was the reason for you to come back to India? We want to explore the world. So Mm -hmm. I thought uh,
2: we together thought that we have lived in Singapore for six years. And I think now we need to explore other parts of the world. So we thought of coming back and Mm -hmm. moving to some other place. Also, there was some family pressure. Like my parents wanted us to stay in India for some time.
1: Right. So we decided this is the time. Traveling abroad, say for on a vacation, doesn't expose these challenges, right? It's more when you actually go and live there. All the people whom you interviewed had to live there for minimum of three years. Is that what you said? Yes, that is
2: right. Traveling abroad for leisure or vacation you will only see the best part of the country, right? You will only (laughs) go to the, (laughs) you will only go to the tourist place. You are going to spend your money, get the visa done, book the tickets, go there, best hotel, everything is sorted for you, right? So you don't (laughs) really, (laughs) it's like you are taking a break from your routine life, but you don't really experience the local life or the, how locals live in that country.
1: Very well. So congratulations. Once again, you could, find the people to fill in i mean three per country that could cover the intra-country geography as well as different subjects and what is more interesting and admirable is that some of them were strangers i can understand that you contacted schoolmates <laughs> the classmates and they would respond hey, apna hai. this is one who we studied with okay whatever information he wants will give but the way you approach strangers and some of them i have guess where through reference may be and yes. you said some of them were through social media you just send a message and uh, uh, received a positive feedback any interesting experience you want to share or a person or a response uh, anecdote about contacting strangers through uh, social media and uh, yeah
2: so i think i struggled for south africa and uh, france i don't have many contacts there i scratched my head i used all the social media network and Mm -hmm. i was not getting anyone so south africa still i have friends who were in south africa for five years seven years and they helped me out but for france i was not getting anyone then i joined a indians in france group on facebook Indians in
1: France group on Facebook? Okay. Yes. I didn't know such group existed. All right. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> even <laughs> I discovered it uh, on my journey. So uh, you can actually connect to Indians in any of the countries. You will. You can search Indians in New Zealand, Indians in Australia,
1: or okay. some name might be different, but you can search with it, you will get it. Would they allow membership because you are not living in the country? You have to probably send a message to the admin and...
2: I had no other option. I had to take my chances. So I joined two of the groups. I mean, I sent a request to Mm -hmm. two Facebook groups, Indians in France. One of it accepted me after three days. The other one did not include me even till today. The first one that accepted, uh, then I randomly went through some of the members and their profile and checked whether they are married or not. Those Mm -hmm. kind of my criteria. And do I see their photos, which are uploaded? three years ago from France so that just to confirm that they are there since long and I have messaged I think seven to eight people out of that two responded and one of them was okay to be part of the book but it was challenging and the person being a lady she was skeptical because she doesn't know me I'm just a stranger I was asking so many personal questions like how you commute how is the life So it was hard with her to establish the trust. Uh, And I mean, I could use the information in any way, right? But I kept assuring her it eventually went well. And then later on, after publishing also, I kept sending her the details that this is the book, which is already now published. And you can refer and it's available in France also. So yeah, I mean, I think that was a bit challenging.
1: Great, great. So it's amazing that how much of research or contact you can do without physically traveling using the power of uh, internet. And it's really up to the author's dedication and uh, perseverance to find out the information that they want. And more so in these days of uh, uh, pandemic, it's uh, now established norm to have any interview, any conversation over a Zoom call or WhatsApp call. And I think the approachability that the internet offers is pretty useful to an author. I was wondering if you thought of or used cultural organizations like Alliance Francaise or governmental organizations like the embassy, would those uh, institutions be helpful?
2: I honestly did not contact them. I did not have much time. Even I was like working on a timeline that I need to publish by June. So my writing started in uh, December two thousand eighteen, and uh, I had a timeline that by June two thousand nineteen, in six months, I need to publish it. Nobody told me that it, was it possible or not, but I thought six months is good enough, and I can't spend more time for this one project. Maybe if the Facebook group might not have worked, then I might have contact embassies. But generally, you need some credentials when you approach an institute like this because. You ask a lot of personal things and everyone would be
1: first skeptical if they don't know you. So all's well that ends well, you could <laughs> find your resources and <laughs> in countries around. What I think uh, is the next book would be quite easy because once you're a published author, it's like your calling card or like a title author of uh, Seven Secrets. For the next book, I think any research or information gathering would be that much easier. Not that much, a little bit easier is what I would assume. Definitely.
2: Earlier, I was just approaching as a IT consultant or as an Indian or depends like whom I was approaching, right? right. Um, but now I can always tell that they, I am an author. I have published a book, which is a bestseller. You can go and check on Amazon. And the context is now set and I can right. talk
1: about whatever right. is required for the next book. Right. And as you said... A lot of people who were your uh, research contacts actually would have become uh, friends in real life through uh, phone calls, email. You must be having contact with them regularly, even now after publishing the book, right? Yes,
2: definitely. Like, and now I can say I have. Sure short contacts in 12 countries <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I am in touch with them. I keep uh, sending them updates about the book or just some hi, hello kind of thing. I had some events in literature fest, so I shared them. I mean, it is proud moment for them also because everywhere their name is also being carried.
1: Right. Exactly. So yeah. hopefully you start saving so that you can visit. All the 12 countries uh, in the New <laughs> <country>. <laughs> Yeah, uh,
2: maybe visit the 12 countries and uh, use whatever I have written in the book <laughs> myself. <laughs> and,
1: <laughs> myself and then these days uh, a Facebook friend is a friend. There is no difference between uh, real friend and online friend because people don't live much outside uh, in the physical world as in hanging out or meeting. So an online friend is a friend in real life, is what the world is. And if you can get a chance to actually tour and visit them, there is nothing like that. So, yes. And maybe that would be the you know, experiences for another book. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. All right, Karan, we will move on to the next segment. But before that, since you are a foodie and to some extent, I am also a foodie. I want to discuss yeah. a little bit yeah. about the food culture in Singapore. I, I didn't realize until I read your book that culturally food difference is so vast and has so many dimensions to it. I mean, the differences in food as a culture, uh, particularly with regard to Singapore. Could you share some thoughts on that? Sure. Yeah, I think food...
2: If you get your food or the food that makes you happy, you are like, you get comfortable. You try to search for your own food, the taste that you have developed uh, whenever you move to another country or another place. When I moved to Singapore and I saw the variety of food in offering from different parts of the world, I realized that food is an essential element that reflects culture. Because uh, if you look at uh, Singapore's history, it has migrants from all over the world. The Britishers came, the Dutch ruled, uh, Japanese ruled for a few years. And there is a constant influx of Indians, Chinese, Indonesian, Vietnamese, Malay. So whenever we go to a new country or a new place, we take our food uh, along with us. Because that's what makes us comfortable or happy. So yeah. over a period of time, the food also evolves and it was amazing. Like if you go uh, out in Singapore, they have. So as I mentioned earlier, Chinese have a culture of eating out. You mm-hmm. would find a lot of hawker centers or food courts. As soon as you step out uh, within mm-hmm. 500 meters, you would find some or the other food court and um, okay. it would have stalls and that would come from different parts of the world. Under one roof, you will have an Indonesian food, a Japanese, Indian, uh, all sort of uh, dishes are there. I am a vegetarian, and before moving to Singapore, the only food I had was Indian and maybe the Indian Chinese or the Italian food. But okay. after living in Singapore for six years, now we have Thai food in our regular mm-hmm. meal. Even there are options in Japanese. Uh, Mexican food. So those are the influence on you as a immigrant or a migrant to a new country. So you take your food as well as you adopt to other food. It's a very interesting aspect to study, maybe, okay. because food reflects a lot of culture.
1: Right. And and since there are food courts, uh, you said like every five hundred meters. Mm-hmm. I assume that there's a lot of aroma in the air when you go around in Singapore.
2: Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> so there are mm-hmm. hawker centres which are like priced at a low end. If you enter there, you would find lot of aroma and uh, especially for a vegetarian like me, the first time I entered, honestly, I came out of it immediately because um, I was not used to so much of raw non-veg being cooked or that kind of aroma. I never had that. Must have been pungent for you. <laughs> yes, it was actually pungent, but there are. Yes well ventilated and well air conditioned food courts also so it depends on the price and where we are going but right. yeah for the normal food courts you would find that kind of thing
1: right I mean finding a food court or a roadside eatery every 500 meters is a very wonderful experience for a foodie uh, yeah. there is a trivia that you mentioned about uh, people put a tissue to reserve their seat <laughs> <laughs> Right? Oh. Uh, yeah, like in India, we have
2: uh, a saying, right? Rumal ragdo to seat meri.
1: <laughs> ah, before boarding a straight transportation bus, you put your foot on the tire, and through the window, you put the handkerchief. <laughs> Correct. And then, taram se, like a king, you get on board the bus, and your seat is there. So yeah. something similar you found there? Tissue culture is what you said in the book.
2: Yeah. So this is like a observation uh, during lunch time or during the peak time. When Mm -hmm. everyone goes out to eat and uh, you only have limited capacity, so the sitting is shared across. There are stalls, maybe Uh 25-30 stalls. All the sittings are common across the food court.
1: Food court, okay.
2: People, when they go in groups, maybe 6 people, 10 people, and uh, since it's like a working time, they need to rush back. They put a tissue paper or a tissue holder and Mm. then they go order get the food and come back so that kind of thing is there i mean i found it interesting uh
1: so i mentioned in the image. book and the other customers in the restaurant uh, respect that tissue. they don't just blow it off and sit there <laughs> on that seat it is a norm it is uh okay. like a accepted thing because okay. today
2: you see a tissue paper but tomorrow you will keep a tissue paper so uh, uh you right. respect then uh, yeah i mean it, it's like a acceptable norm now and if you happen to just ignore the tissue paper and take the seat then uh you'll get a good you may get a good thrashing <laughs> so uh, uh, publicly publicly in front of your office colleagues uh, i think you would want to avoid so avoid, everyone, everyone yeah. just
1: follow that better be a singaporean in singapore so, yes and then um... Uh, Amongst all the cuisines you found, even Indian food is a big uh, uh, attraction, big hit there, right? Among the local Singaporeans, the ethnic uh, Chinese and Malay people. It's a
2: big hit. If you go in Indian restaurants, uh, you would find a lot of non-Indians. And um, Indian food is a big hit. Uh, They love the dosa. Especially they love the paneer curry. They may not be eating so much spicy, like in terms of hotness, but... Okay. they like the spices like the spices we put in gravy um i think uh-huh. we put a lot of variety in it so it's a uh-huh. big hit uh, they love naan and uh, it's a bit funny uh-huh. to see non indians eating naan or tandoori roti with fork and knife but
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay and they still manage to do that huh? they eat the roti with the knife properly
2: yeah, they eat it like pizza. They eat the naan and okay. then they take a bite of curry. Oh, <laughs> okay. okay.
1: <laughs> so the spiciness may not be new because anyways, they are uh, having Thai food, Indonesian food, which may be comparatively spicy. So Singaporeans are used to spicy food and not necessarily Indian food is the only spicy food out there. Yes, even
2: Indonesian food is spicy. Malaysian food is also spicy. So, Malaysian yeah. also.
1: So, what was uh, more interesting was this thing called mock vegetarian food. <laughs> yeah, I came
2: across it for the first time. So, there is a uh-huh. concept called as mock food. Um, okay. It is vegetarian food, uh-huh. but it appears non-vegetarian. For example, uh, there could be A fish curry dish, but it's made of uh, brinjal or a chicken dish which is made of soya. So, it will look non-veg, but all the ingredients will be veg, some vegetable or something. So, uh, uh, one of the outings with my uh, office, they took me to a mock center because they knew that I am vegetarian. And Uh I don't know, like, uh, I couldn't appreciate the concept because we also want the food to look nice, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm a vegetarian Uh and if the food is looking not familiar, Uh it was hard for me to adopt that. Uh, Uh But it's interesting. Like I never heard before moving to Singapore that there is a concept of
1: mock food. So it's just mocking Uh as a non-veg, but it's a veg food. So they make it just look like a non-vegetarian or they add some kind of uh, flavor to actually taste also like non-vegetarian? Taste-wise,
2: I wouldn't uh, know that it tastes like non-veg. I think it would not taste like non-veg. But uh, the look and the texture and everything is like a non-veg.
1: All right. No, this is something that we do at home here. Sometimes you don't have non-vegetarian food. Uh And and my son loves uh, eating only if you have some non-veg part in the lunch or in dinner. Uh So the, the soya meal maker comes close to... Taste and feel like a non-vegetarian thing. So, yes. so along with uh, bhindi or uh, uh, aloo, we put some soya as a side dish, and then nicely my kids eat away the whole uh, plate that day. So, yeah.
2: So you are mocking. You are giving him a mock <laughs> mock food. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mock food to actually make him eat that if once or twice a week we have uh, non vegetarian food at home, and at, at times when you don't get the supply, that's the best uh, you know, fallback option.
2: Uh, you will see a lot of uh,
1: soya and mushroom in the mock food. Okay, okay. So to round up uh, this discussion on food, uh, here's a thought question Is there something in Singapore f- from the food point that is missing? That that should have been there, but not there. Yeah, I think the
2: experience of pani puri eating uh, on the street side okay.
1: <laughs> that is
2: not <laughs> that is not there. So you get pani puri in restaurants, restaurants like Kalash Parbat. You get nice chart platter pani puri.
1: But for that ex- you have to go go for fine dining, which is against pani puri concept of India.
2: Exactly. So that
1: experience
2: of stopping at roadside and having pani puri that is yeah. missed. But otherwise, I think all the Indian migrants have done a good job in taking our food there and everything is available. Uh, the taste okay. may vary, but uh, you would get it.
1: Okay. So probably anyone who is listening to our podcast with an entrepreneurial uh, bent of mind can think about opening Panipuri street food eateries and make a big buck there because that's missing <laughs> and Indians love to have Panipuri standing yeah, and eating yeah. on the roadside. So.
2: Definitely. A Pani Puri Thela with a Tawa Pulao and Pao Bhaji would be welcomed by Indians
1: and non-Indians there. Right. Essentially, that kind of thing is missing. I mean, street food is always having an attraction, even though however much you have fine dining, mm-hmm. uh, along with friends or family, just stop at a roadside and have a samosa chaat and a Pani Puri. That's a totally different experience. Uh, maybe something mm-hmm. that has that can be taken to Singapore?
2: Yes, definitely. And after a point of time, like discussing with all the contributors of the book, uh, one mm-hmm. of the questions I did ask to them was, what do you miss the most uh, in that country? Okay. So okay. street food was the first answer. Like anywhere <laughs> uh, <laughs> outside right. India, street food is dearly missed. And okay. the second answer was made, uh, maybe for, not true for some of the countries, but mostly like, Uh, they miss made. So yeah, street food, uh, I think we Indians love and it's dearly missed outside.
1: All right. Okay. (laughs) Okay. It's good to know that that just food as a culture dimension has so much variation between countries and it reflects their uh, local history also, styles also, the mix of uh, immigrants that come into the country and so on. Moving on from food, um, after writing this book, And talking to people and compiling so many facts. Which country do you think has the most challenges for an Indian going abroad?
2: I think uh, in terms of food, challenging country from the book would be Germany, France, a European country. But uh, where Indians have not gone uh, in large numbers or maybe uh, not in the cities like Berlin. But if you go to remote Mm -hmm. part. Uh, Smaller cities, if you happen to be stationed at a smaller uh, city or interiors of country, you would have challenge. One of the contributors from Germany has shared, again, he was uh, a vegetarian, that they had a tough time and initially they could only find uh, pizza uh, as a vegetarian option. So, uh, I would say European countries, people may find challenge. And it also depends on how open you are. Like if you're a non-vegetarian and you're open to explore, you may have less challenges. So other than that, I think the rest of the world, um, Australia, New Zealand, UAE, you get very good Indian food. US, US again, big cities, uh, New York, New Jersey, Bay Area, where Indians have migrated and lived in large number, would not find so much of an issue. Interiors of US, yes, you may struggle a bit.
1: So uh, apart from food, overall, considering all the seven factors that you covered in the book, what do you think uh, or which country do you think has the most challenges? Covering all the seven factors and their subtopics also like uh, uh, education, school, employment, which country has the most challenges overall for an Indian to go abroad and uh, settle Okay. So this thought did come in my mind that
2: after reading the book, if uh, the reader Mm -hmm. wants to decide now which country to go and or which is the best country for him, how does he conclude it? So I have added one uh, appendix and I have added one satisfaction index. It is called a satisfaction index at the end of the book. So what I did was I gave 30 parameters to each contributor, 30 parameters included everything that touch our daily life, commute to office, education, dependence, life, healthcare, how do you celebrate festival distance from uh, your hometown, all those parameters, key 30 parameters I gave them and I asked them to rank uh, zero to 10. How good it is or how bad it is. Because, see, this is a book with all the experiences, and people would be in different phases of life. You may be a bachelor, or you may be just married, Mm -hmm. or you may be like 50 plus with two adult kids, uh, with dependent parents at home. So, the phase of life would be different, and uh, because of that, your understanding or the way you look at the country where you have moved would be different. Your expectations from life is also different. So it was hard but this satisfaction index gives like an objective view uh, of the whole subjective experience. So there are good and bad in each country. Uh, There are challenges and there are benefits. So let's say if you move to Singapore and your kids are school going. So there the education is very costly, the private education. So there are Public schools where the admission is based on criterias like citizens, alumni, siblings, PR and then the foreigner. So all the immigrating Indians or anybody who is immigrating fall in the foreigner category. So they are the, okay. they come at the end and there are only like one or two seats and the demand is much higher. So generally the option is to go with international schools where the fees could yeah. be like, to $3,000 per month, right? So if you have two kids, school going, right? Mm -hmm. It may not be financially viable unless your company is taking care of education. So these are the things that are highlighted in the book that before you go, look at the challenges and ensure that those are in place because once you move there and then you figure this out, it's like a stuck situation, right? Okay.
1: Okay. Right. Depending on your situation, The most satisfying or the best option differs. If you're a bachelor, South Africa, both the spouses are working, but no kids, UAE. If you have growing kids, uh, United States, because education. So, depending on your context, the satisfaction index will suggest a country on those factors. Yes, exactly. Did I get that? Perfect.
2: If you're a bachelor, you can go uh, anywhere in the world and also your parents would be relatively independent back home. So you need not worry. Mm -hmm. But as your parents grow older, I think moving to US and Canada is challenging. You always have that in mind that parents are also aging along with you. So this index would be a good reflection and also point out which of the countries are good for you and like the phase in which you are.
1: Fantastic. That's an absolute uh, informative and insightful table for making decisions. It's like a decision-making matrix that readers should uh, definitely get value from out of this book. So there's no one answer to which is the most uh, comfortable or which is the most challenging country for an Indian to go abroad. Yes. Overall, a very wonderful book, not just as... Uh, guide to know the challenges or the issues that you will face after going abroad to another country. I could pick up a lot of uh, interesting trivia as a general reading book. I mean, I did not read it like uh, a book that I would go as an immigrant because right now I'm settled here and have no plans to go abroad. And then there are so many things that are very uh, interesting, very funny. For example, Mm -hmm. New Zealand shops close at 5.30 p.m.? <laughs> yeah, that's common in New Zealand and also Australia.
2: So they have a culture of shopping during the lunchtime. That's the acceptable norm. But 5.30 p.m.
1: is what you wrote in the
2: Yes yeah, 5 right? uh, 5.30, 6 p.m. they normally close. And if any shop is like open till 8 p.m. or 9, 9 p.m., it is advertised mm-hmm. like a USP that we are open till 8 p.m. <laughs> Nine. I mean, almost all the shopping areas kind of go dark by 6 o'clock. Yes, most thing? of the shopping, like grocery and all those shopping areas uh, go dark. The restaurants mm-hmm. might be open, but for shopping, okay. uh, yeah, closes by 5.36. It's a major cultural shock. We are not used to it. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Even in India, you will find some trains of this kind of uh, norm. Like in Pune, maybe around 1 to 3 o'clock, all shops are closed. They, all the shopkeepers go for lunch and they open back around 4 o'clock. But this is the first time I came to realize that in an advanced country like uh, New Zealand, uh, I mean, the shopping is closed at 5.30. We are used here in Hyderabad to midnight shopping also. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yeah. And then uh, other, there are uh, other pieces of trivia. In UAE, there is very international office culture, women wearing abaya, the burqa and short skirts very well work together in France. There is a 35 hour work. Yes. week, And uh, yes. for people who don't want to work so much uh, at office and have more time, France is a good option. I think. Yes. Uh,
2: since you have mentioned France, so uh, see this book also can be read by people who are working in other country or who are just working in India and no plans to move. I'll give you a real example right. in my office there were some meetings uh, that <laughs> my colleagues were trying to set up with french people okay and the time okay. that they were uh, setting up maybe uh, it was clashing with their lunch time uh, the french guys were never accepting their meeting request so later on i came to know and i just looked at it and, and i told that uh, in france there is a culture of having lunch for 1.5 hours to 2 hours they enjoy their Meal. That is the time they catch up with everyone. And it's very different from Germany. Germany is like 20-25 minutes, your lunch is over. If you know this culture, I mean, they then change the meeting invite and it got accepted. But if we know this kind of very small cultural uh, difference, we could be very effective. After reading this book, you would realize that the Americans find it very difficult to work with the French because of starting late and ending late with respect to time. But the Americans start very early in a day and like they start at 7 a.m. and wants to wrap up by p.m. 5 p.m. But the French is very different culture. They start at 10 a.m. and then can go till 7 p.m., 8 p.m. So when you deal with nationalities of different culture... If you know these nuances, mm-hmm. uh, you could be very effective at work or in your negotiation.
1: Correct, exactly. And uh, Americans don't, I don't think they spend an hour and a half on lunch. Most of them probably have lunch at the desk and like finish off it in like 15, 20 minutes or so. Even if they go out, that would be like once a week uh, along with teammates or maybe in the evening, yeah. happy hours. But this is interesting a 35 hour work week with a one and a half hour lunch, I think, Very, I mean, lunch is very <laughs> seductive from that point of view.
2: Yeah. Okay. So this may be an enticing factor, but uh, do read the other parts and then figure out uh...
1: parts also. <laughs> <laughs> right. And in New Zealand, uh, office conversation has a lot of non-office uh, yes. topics in that. People love to yes. talk about things in general. So. If you are a talkative person and conversation lover, then New Zealand uh, office is like, uh, this is the place. You don't feel like an office, like more like yes, a coffee. Yes, exactly.
2: Maybe? And Asians, yes. Indians and Asians find it difficult when they move to New Zealand and go to office. Because generally speaking, Asians are transactional in conversation. If we have a meeting, we will start it on time. There is an agenda. We will start discussing. And we will close it, right? It's a very transaction. We know what we need to discuss. Agenda is there. Discuss. Close it. That is how Asians... And probably and probably
1: li- write the minutes of meeting uh, also. That very minutes formally. of meeting
2: has come from American culture. Because Americans okay, believe okay. that there should not be left anything for guesswork. Like Indians, we talk with head nod and a lot of sign mm-hmm. language, right? And sometimes we right. have to understand the tone. You are saying something, but the tone... Reflects what you mean, right? So, there is a reading between the lines. But the American yeah. culture is say it all. Discuss everything. Then write in email. Right. Then send it across. So, there is no confusion. Right. In, New Zealand, in New Zealand, so, they are like, if the meeting has started, it's not that come to the point, discuss and go out. They would start with, okay, last weekend I went for fishing. We did this and stuff. They would not okay. discuss uh, like a very personal stuff. But they start with a conversation, a non-work related conversation, then move to work, and it it works in a very mm-hmm. healthy. And they have a tendency of cracking jokes or being humorous, like every third or fourth sentence. So if <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. if, if you are like an introvert wow. okay. uh-huh. or you are not used to that culture, right? It would take some time. I mean, you will go to the your first meeting in New Zealand very seriously well prepared and then you are seeing that they are uh, you may you may
1: (laughs) talking (laughs) about talking about fishing and cracking jokes about the fish and all (laughs) okay these
2: guys are not serious (laughs) about the work this is that impression may come but it's not about that they would come to the work and they would ask for quality work but uh, that's the cultural difference
1: they are serious about their work that we can understand for i mean just for a topical point of view, uh, New Zealand and the Prime Minister, they have gone yes. for COVID free, the first country to do so. She announced it, I think, just a couple of days ago. So they are healthy, not only in their conversation and jokes also, but the way in the, the way of life COVID, in
2: so. New Zealand is fantastic. So, like they neither give stress nor they take stress, but whatever work yeah. has to, I mean, they, they do it. So they are productive and as well as they enjoy life they are unlike india <laughs> <laughs>
1: in a kind of a, st- a stress free healthy humorous yes. uh, uh, work style right so i think i would not discuss much more about the book because that will be like uh, giving away too much content <laughs> too many spoilers and i would strongly recommend all the hydro members and listeners of this podcast to pick up a copy of the book it's available as a kindle or yes. a paperback version It's available on on, Amazon, uh, it's available on Flipkart, and it's available
2: uh, globally on Amazon.com. You can order in any of the 152 countries, and the publisher has tie-up,
1: it would be shipped. Great. Globally available to uh, 152 countries through Amazon.com. And now we come to the publishing part. Um, So once you've written the manuscript, how did you go about the editor? getting the manuscript edited and finding a publisher. How was that okay. journey like? So
2: when I started writing, I had no idea of how the publishing industry work as such. So whenever I was not writing, when I did not feel like writing, I was exploring about the publishing part and how to go about it. Uh, to be honest, initially I was a bit disappointed to know that if I have to go to a traditional publisher, a established well-known name, then I need to submit three chapters and then wait for six to eight weeks for their response. Right. They may like, or they may not like okay. my work.
1: Is it six to eight weeks? No, or six, six to six eight, eight weeks,
2: months. Like approximately two months. It is very transparent. It is oh. on website of all the traditional publishers, how much time they take and the email ID and everything is given. So they may get back to you after eight weeks if they like. And if they don't like, they may not respond to you. So initially I was okay okay with that. And I thought, okay, let me go with the traditional publisher. But then after putting so much of effort and I had a timeline in my mind, I thought I cannot wait for two months in uncertainty because after two months, if I realize that I haven't got a deal, then I have to again, search for something else. It's a dilemma at that point. I was not prepared Mm -hmm. to wait for another two months. And you can only start this process after you have written the whole book and you have best of the three chapters which are catching a good insight of your book, right? So you can't start this process early. You can only start after you have, let's say, completed 80 or 100% of the book and you have revised it and then you want to showcase best of your work. So then I went with self-publishing. Self-publishing is a very simple model. I explored few publishers okay. that fall in the self-publishing category, which is like you pay for the service. Whatever service you want, you pay for that and you get it. Whether it's like creation okay. of interior designs or the book cover, editor, listing in Amazon Flipkart. There are around 14 or 15 okay. services that go into coming out the draft as a final product, final book. Mm -hmm. So you can select and then you pay and those services, there will be a publishing manager assigned to you and that person will work with you, understand what you want and they will guide. And it's a smooth process. It's a transparent, smooth process. And when the book is listed, the sales is like uh, whatever operating expenses they're printing, they will deduct and all the profit is yours. So in traditional Mm -hmm. publisher, they buy the copyright, whatever you are writing, the traditional publisher will buy. It is their content. They will publish a million copy and make it available everywhere. And you will get a royalty. And if you have an established name, you will also get something upfront. So this is the difference. Like um, uh, the Mm -hmm. reach is the difference. Uh, Traditional publisher has a good reach in self-publishing. You have to, uh, I mean, they do market, but you have to do personal marketing from your side. And uh, it takes more effort to make it visible. So when I realized that I will go with self-publishing, I started creating and working on marketing Mm -hmm. uh, at that point itself. Six months before my book was launched, I started the marketing part and created a curiosity in social media.
1: Mm -hmm. In self-publishing, you take the burden of the marketing yourself. And then the remaining services, you can pick... uh, from the portfolio of the self-publishing agency uh, what they offer now about the editing part could you say A- something? i think keywords? editing
2: is one of the most important and niche skill i personally believe uh, steve mm-hmm. jobs was one of the best editors he knew <laughs> how much to push his team and what is good what is bad and what to keep and what to reject if you read his biography you would realize that and from there on i always observed editors and editing part in all the movies it's somehow I'm um, very fanatic about uh, being a uh, having a good editor self-publisher was mm-hmm. offering me uh, an editor and a book cover so there are two aspects that mm-hmm. i did on my own so editor and the book cover so editing i was not very sure about what whatever they were offering was good enough so i just searched on google top 10 mm-hmm. editors in india and uh Out of that list, I picked three names randomly and sent them email. Two of them came Mm -hmm. back and then I gave them 1500 words of document and they edited and sent it back. It's like just to showcase their work and how much editing or what kind of work they can do. So I finally narrowed down on my amazing Mm -hmm. editor, Vrinda Baliga, also happens to uh, from Hyderabad and um, she did an amazing work. Uh, she explained me the editing process like line editing or uh, critic editing. And it was a, a good experience. To come out with a very good product, you need a good editor.
1: All right. And uh, just for the information of um, people who might be entering the writing uh, field, editors go by page rate or word rate? How You don't have to tell your rate. It but works on the work?
2: uh, word count. So they have like a certain number of quotation for 150 words or 250 words so they will give you um, a price point that this is my price for 250 words so you just see how many words you have written and calculate so my book is having 1 lakh 6000 words which i only came to know after uh, <laughs> after interacting <laughs> with uh, editor that okay, okay. i have written these many words <laughs>
1: Uh-huh. Based on the word count and manuscript, they will uh, give a yes. quote. Uh, it right? depends is what is it?
2: their forte. So if you are a new writer, uh, you also should see whether you are writing fiction mm-hmm. or non-fiction, and whether your editor has done that kind of work. And mm-hmm. also try to see that they have not done very similar work. Like in my case, I wanted an editor who has not done a work which deals with culture or countries because That may bring some bias. That were some of the Uh filters I put Uh to get a good editor who has done work on non-fiction.
1: Right, right. Very good that uh, there is one more Hyderabad connection to your book. And I have read her short story collection long, long back, about a decade back even.
2: Yeah, she herself is a writer. Uh, She writes Um, short stories.
1: Right the self-publishing, editing, and the marketing part uh, is done. And then any particular uh, things about promotion? Before
2: promotion, I would come to the book cover. The book cover that was offered by the publisher. It looked very Indian. I mean, it was very typical. If you look at The Indian books, that is how the book cover was with one big picture in the middle and the name at the top and heading at the bottom or vice versa. Uh, I wanted a book cover, which is like, it reflects everything that the book is about. So I hired one artist from Israel through some of the contacts and she has created this book cover. The only instruction I gave her was that I want little white in the background. Uh, The background needs to be a in color, preferably white and even if there is no text mm-hmm. if there mm-hmm. if you remove all the text anybody should be able to guess what the book is about wow, yeah and then very good uh, the, the draft she shared was exactly like this i just uh, asked her to add a pinch of red so in the secrets in the secrets and the image you see mm-hmm. little bit of red that was added later because red mm-hmm. signifies emotion and it connects uh, as a a reader, if when you are scrolling books, if you see some red, you would connect with that. It signifies emotion.
1: <laughs> I wanted that tinge of it there. In the sketch at the bottom of the cover, all the... No, this is, is just a, cover, a representation. Just so all 12 sketch, countries yeah. are
2: uh, not covered. And some of the monuments may be from country that are not oh, part of okay. this book. But it's just a representation.
1: Yes. Okay, that it covers many countries. Right. Right. And the book cover is well done. I mean, simple, but not uh, too plain and appropriate level of graphics and color uh, instead of making it uh, too gaudy. And I think uh, job well done on the cover okay. design. also. Thank you very much. You're welcome. The promotion part, yeah. uh, you were saying something or did you have anything promotion to part? Our, if you are uh,
2: going with right? a self-publisher like me, then you need to be really active on social media. Mm-hmm and all the platforms work in a different way, you get all the social medias uh, active. I created the Facebook page little late when I realized that I would go with self publishing and I also need to promote myself. So uh, create a page upfront and keep it active. I used Mm -hmm. Facebook, my profile, Facebook page, Instagram, Mm -hmm. LinkedIn, and a little bit of Twitter. But if you're in a writing phase you will not have so much time to be active on all the media because uh, the content could be similar, but you need to adopt to that platform. Instagram image works, Facebook story works and, um, mm-hmm. LinkedIn story along mm-hmm. with some professional touch work for my book. My target audience are very clear, uh, Indian IT industry or industry that sends Indians abroad right? So that is the IT industry. And they are found in large number on LinkedIn. So that is my target audience. And I created my post once in a week, which was building curiosity about the book, I was not telling that what is there in the book, but I would ask some question, like, in which culture, you should not be gifting a watch. And uh, that would that would be a question and then I would explain the cultural uh-huh. difference okay. so those kind of things that are already in the book I would just uh-huh. give like a trivia or a trailer kind of thing and kept building my audience so by the time after 4 months when the book was out I had good amount of people who had interest and who already committed to buy and they eventually bought. So yeah, marketing, if you're going with traditional publisher, then you could be relaxed because they will ensure uh, you are on crossword. You are on major bookstores and all their members are also sent an email about your book and a lot of visibility would be given by them. If you are self publishing, then be prepared that apart from writing, you need to spend uh, this time also. And one of the interesting thing I would share okay. is because I was self-publishing and I did not have any credibility before publishing this book, author tag was not there. It It is mm-hmm. very important if a big name gets associated with your book. Okay, And I would advise all the writers, mm-hmm. readers uh, listening to this podcast that there is no limitation. You could do anything. I sent two emails. One was to Mr. Francisco de Souza and other was to Mr. Ratan Tata uh, requesting them if they were okay and if they had time to write a forward for my book because they have the credibility and if their name uh, get attached to your book, a forward written by Ratan Tata. Instantly, you, I mean you, your book will be perceived in a different wow. way. right? The content is not going to change. It's going to be the same, but a big name, if it is attached, it makes a huge difference. So my idea was to get a big name. I did get a reply from Mr. Tata after 15 days. It was a reply from his office that the request has been forwarded Mm to Mr. Ratan Tata. And because of his busy schedule, he would not be able to spend time. But best wishes. So I think I was delighted, excited, I might have read that email 20 times because I wasn't expecting that such a, I mean, to receive a reply from his office, right? He need not reply. Even if he did not reply, it's okay. It Doesn't have to, right? But still, I think that makes him great. Uh, Yeah, that's a different uh, story. Uh, So these are the things you could be more creative, but these are the things that I tried and few things worked A lot of things
1: work later. So even if you don't get it the first time, probably the next time a very famous or uh, well accomplished person could do that because once you're author of the first book, maybe the second time will work out and uh, this time it did not happen, but you should Yes. And uh, uh, it uh,
2: establishes uh, a connection because I got a reply from office of Mr. Ratan Tata. I sent him a book. After it got published, I asked Mm -hmm. him uh, address if it was okay for him to Mm -hmm. share the address and I could send a copy of book. And I sent him a copy of my published book along with a handwritten letter. And that letter was like stamped and acknowledged by Mr. Tata himself. All my conversation in the signature, it was written office of Mr. Tata. The last one came from him. I mean, for me, this Mm -hmm. is good enough. And as you mentioned it establishes a credibility next time I can always say that I am author of bestseller this book and maybe the uh, it would be a little more easier uh, next time
1: easier that time right okay great great fantastic anecdote and yeah. very important uh, tip to people I mean use any opportunity or chance that you have to associate uh, somebody yes. with your book somebody big with your book okay all right, so we'll move <laughs> on from the book to current. The writer, uh, who are your, uh, <laughs> who are your favorite authors, or, and which are some of the books that I think the uh, first like author
2: the I fall in love with was Dan Brown. Amazing author, amazing the way he tells the stories. Uh, if I ever have an option of becoming an original writer mm-hmm. of any of his work, I would rate Angels and Demons and Deception Point mm-hmm. at the top. Um, when I was reading the book, it was as if all mm-hmm. the characters are performing a drama in front of me. I mean, it was really amazing. I Dan Brown, I will put at the top of the list. Other than that, I read a wow. lot of biographies. Mm-hmm. So, as I told at the beginning of podcast, I try to push my limits mm-hmm. uh, for that. You need some guidance or some direction. So, mm-hmm. I have read a lot of biographies, Steve Jobs, Lee I. Kuka, Sam Walton, and it's a long list. Mm -hmm. But I love to read fiction as well as non-fiction.
1: And Dan Brown is the master of suspense, actually. Exactly, and the way he creates
2: a plot, you are actually like transferred to Vatican City, and you are there. It's just beyond how I can explain in words.
1: Yes, he transports you to his world, the character's world, and and that's the best. accomplishment of an author if he can draw the reader into the world he has built for the story and then once you're there in the story, the book becomes unput downable. Yeah, you, you become fan of until that you author. Have finished I mean, the, reading it.
2: The work itself speaks and then if anybody is able to control your emotions, control yourself, I think you become you start following that person.
1: Oh,
2: One of the non fiction so, I would like to mention is the Art of Racing in the Rain by Garth Stein. I think that book had a profound impact on me and it's an emotional story, fictional, and it's told by a dog named Enzo and mm-hmm. he is telling his human family story and how things fall apart and it's a beautiful story. I just picked it up and then I couldn't drop it before finishing. So it's a beautiful book. Uh, those are those are the books or the writing or the work Uh a new writer should aspire to. Like that can move your audience or readers. And I think it became a movie also later. Uh, The name of the book is The Art of Racing in the Rain.
1: The Art of Racing in the Rain. Wow. I mean, the book title itself is Arousing Curiosity. And you are saying that though a fiction book, it has... Yes. Uh, uh, Racing uh, in the Rain is because racing,
2: the owner... Of the yes. dog is uh, formula driver.
1: Wow. Okay.
2: Yes. So I that's would recommend, a yes.
1: recommendation from Karan. So how does your uh, writing process happen? How is your writing process like? I mean, do you follow any specific timings or techniques? or Tell us a little, okay. little bit more, more so about your before
2: writing Before publishing process. this first book successfully, okay. I have two novels, half written. Still uh-huh. uh, lying on my computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: On your Google
2: so Drive. <laughs> I always had that thing that I
1: want okay. to write, and I was writing. Okay. But <laughs> no, no. Two is just a smaller number. Uh-huh. Our uh, ac- active hydro members, Lavanya and Swapnil, have like half a dozen to a dozen wow. folders <laughs> each of one book. And, and yes, and, 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 I mean that's a reflection of how many ideas they have. So. So before writing this book, you had uh, started on and uh, there is the
2: problem. If you have half written books, the reason I couldn't ever complete them is Mm -hmm. because I was waiting for inspiration to happen. I always thought that, okay, let me feel like writing. Let me come let that flow come and I will write. So every time that feeling of writing came, my storyline changed because I had some other idea, some better idea whatever I had written earlier did not sound so good. So you could never reach the end of it. If you keep uh, reflecting on what you have done and if you keep changing your ideas, then there is no flow. There is no continuity. You could never write. Uh So that was the problem. And I could never complete those Uh books. And for this seven untold secrets of living abroad, the only reason I could complete the book was I followed a very strict regime. So 5 to 8 in the morning and 8 to 10 in the evening after office. Every day this was followed. Initially um, the thoughts were not coming because my body was not used to. But I think after a few days, your mind would know that this is the time that I need to think and come out with something. So it works. Uh, If you follow a strict regime, it works. And um, you can't leave it for motivation to happen. You have to show up every day, keep writing. Someday you would just write one page. Someday you would write like pages and eight o'clock will just tick like that. And you would feel very happy, very satisfied that day. Also, it's very important to condition your mind. When you are in a writing phase, you need to be immune to the outside world. Okay. So even if you are going on a two-wheeler or a four-wheeler, somebody bumps you on the road, it should not bother you. If you get a nasty email in the office, it should not bother you. Nothing should bother you. I mean, I got that state while writing because it's very simple. Uh, In your home, um, the same lady cooks food every day, but sometimes it tastes really good. Sometimes when the mood is bad, the food also tastes bad. So if your internal feeling or if your internal energy is low, you are not in a good state of mind, only trash will come out. This is not easy, but if you keep practicing and keep ignoring, you would have to ignore. Like in my office, uh, during lunchtime, they would converse so many things. And I would just think about the character and the next thing that I want to put in the book. Uh, So you have to ignore a lot of things and Mm -hmm. self-dedicate. Then it works. So Mm -hmm. I did that. It really worked.
1: So you have to actually become detached personality, cut off yourself from what's happening when you are in that writing uh, time, in your writing zone. And I feel sometimes a writer is almost like a mystic going into another world of his or her own when the writing is happening. If the world outside is cut off, then the writing flows. If you allow the external world to disturb you... absolutely. If you allow the external world to
2: disturb you, the best of you will not come out because your part mm-hmm. of your mind is already occupied. The best that you can write or can contribute uh, will not come out.
1: Will not come out. Right. And, and I, I totally agree with that. One observation is probably in nonfiction, once you've made an outline, there is not many directions you can take the book into. Like in the first two half written novels you mentioned, in fiction, as you write, probably there are multiple directions the story can take. And even different endings are possible that you did not realize when you started the book. So you have to be more stringent in writing a fiction. Probably non-fiction, though equally dedicated and difficult, the option-wise, it won't allow you to wander or steer yes. uh, away from the in path In non-fiction,
2: much. you have a framework and once you're like content or the topics are covered, you are clear about the topics you want to cover. You can roam around it and create Mm -hmm. within it as much as you want. When you are writing a fiction, you have to lead the character to somewhere else. There has to be a suspense, a mystery, or you are creating something that's not there. Mm -hmm. Right. And you want to create, which has not been done earlier by any other author. So, it has to be really you and things coming out of you.
1: Exactly. (laughs) So, what are you going to do with those uh, two half-written? I started reading
2: one of it. Uh, I now plan to complete them, take it to a logical end because there was a point when I believed in them. So, I think Mm -hmm. I want to complete them. So, both of them are on relationship. Maybe I was influenced by the books that were coming out uh, that time. The blogs were also. I was writing on stories and relations. I will, I think, go back and read those and try to see if it still makes sense and com- complete them. Right. What um, will be your I next have three published ideas book? Then? that are in process, but I'm mm-hmm. not in hurry. Uh, so whenever I get new idea in them, I keep jotting down. So all the three ideas are like in work in progress, and whenever I feel like. Mm-hmm okay this is good enough to write a book um, so all the three are in draft stage and not sure mm-hmm. like which i will take up but i am not which pushing one? myself that you no know, my for, second for. needs to come out quickly nothing like that it will take time and whenever the story is ready i will write and it will come out
1: <laughs> right right you also mentioned in the beginning of the seven secrets that uh, the education Part could be a book by itself. You yes, that the, education in could be a part by itself.
2: In fact, um, I was so much engrossed yeah. writing this and we have discussed about food earlier. I thought okay. I can research on food and not just well, but around right. the world that who impacts okay. whom are the immigrants impact the uh-huh. local or the local food impacts immigrant in a culture way. So, I mean, every topic we can okay. expand and try to study from a cultural point of view
1: right right i mean the best example is yes. the indian chinese food here right here itself <laughs> so, yes <laughs> There is something called an indian chinese food right yeah <laughs> so that itself could trigger a lot of uh, research and, yes and um, if you look at
2: the actual uh, chinese
0: food, to it's tell. very
2: different it's more of liquid food like they have noodles in uh-huh. soup and uh, it's more of liquid food not the indians eat a lot of uh, the actual
1: chinese has a lot of liquid food Before we conclude, the last question, what is your key advice to aspiring writers? Okay. In a nutshell, what would you tell them? I would
2: advise aspiring writers or authors, write a book that you would be proud of after it is published. When you're writing or before you're writing, find out why you want to write. This book, I was very clear that I want to help the immigrating Indians. And that is my target audience. That is my reason I am writing and when your why is very strong there would be challenges there would be work pressure or few things at home but when you are you are very clear and your why is very clear you would complete that task so don't write just to be a published author find out why you want to write like what will happen with that book who is going to use it could be entertaining it could be fictional story so it could be entertaining it could be educative the reason could be anything but Have that very clear and then begin your journey and you will reach the final uh, post. Don't, like I explained earlier, don't wait for motivation to happen. Uh, Your stories will keep on changing and you would never be able to complete. Make a plan, follow it religiously and do it.
1: Excellent uh, piece of advice to aspiring authors. And on that note, we will conclude this uh, interview here. All uh, listeners and readers, please do pick up a copy of The Seven Untold Secrets. The complete name is Seven Untold Secrets of Living Abroad, Fulfilling Your Dreams with Dignity. And it's available on Amazon and globally also and on Flipkart. Very interesting and insightful book. I really enjoyed uh, reading the book for this interview and also Having this conversation, with I you, really Karan, enjoyed having a conversation really with you. Like to you. you took your questions, took me
2: I, back to the uh, writing process and all the stages I went through, and uh, I had a beautiful conversation. I loved every part of okay. it. Thank you so much for
1: having me on your podcast. It was my pleasure. And to all listeners out there, thank you and bye bye. Take care. for Now we will meet you. once again in the next uh, episode. Uh, bye.